Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is a very windy Saturday, November 5th, 2022, and we are broadcasting live from the northwest side of the city of Chicago. Welcome to the program. My name is David Canfield. I'll be your host for this hour. And you can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life and faith in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. We'd love to hear from you and uh, with, those, with those comments or questions. So on the program last week, we were considering how important it is for believers in Christ to be in the Word of God in a consistent way. It's our spiritual food. It sanctifies us. It causes us to grow. You, you just can't live the Christian life in a healthy way if you're not in the Word in a consistent way. So this week, we want to go on and consider why, why it's important, even if you're not a Christian, you should still be one who does have a fundamental grasp of the Bible. What does the Bible say? And, you know, it's had such an important role in the life of our nation, uh, and it really has done so much to shape our nation. And today, of course, uh, uh, there's a people who uh, speak out against the Bible, and they they, uh, really kind of just... Speak of what a, a, a evil uh, and, and unfortunate book it is, and why we shouldn't read it. But uh, none of that, none of that would have been shared by any of those uh, uh, important leaders of our country in the past. None of those views would have been shared by them. And we're going to be going through a number of statements that the uh, important Americans have said about the Bible uh, and its influence on our nation, and uh, in a little bit here. But first, we want to deal with some of the basic reasons why the Bible is less read today than it has been in our nation's history. And this is not going to be a, an apologetics program. We'll, we'll do some apologetics in the future. But I, I just came up with some basic reasons why the Bible isn't so, so much read today. And we're just going to go through those very quickly and try to uh, deal with those. And like I said, in, a, in another program at a later date, we'll go on and probably deal with them more in depth. But we should just have a general idea of why people aren't reading the Bible so much today. And I would say the first one is that it's not a scientific book. It's unscientific. And we live in a very scientific age. Everything has to be scientific. If it's not scientific, you know, if you can't weigh it, you can't measure it, well, then people feel it just it's not real. Well, it's true. The Bible is not a scientific book. That's right. It doesn't claim to be a scientific book. It's historical, but it's not scientific. And, but I would say if people feel that uh, the realm of science is all there is, then they have no way to explain where this whole realm that we live in came from. If, if the universe is all there is, if that statement is really true, then where did the universe come from? And they have no way to answer that question. It's impossible. It had to come from someplace else, from another realm. And the Bible deals with that unseen realm. It doesn't mean it's only dealing with the unseen realm. The Bible is a very, very human book. There's so much in it that's so down to earth. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we know it's really authentic, because it is so human and so very practical. But it also deals with the unseen realm. And even so, even though it's not a scientific book, that's for sure that's not a, a valid reason not to read this book today. If you, if you don't um, consider that unseen realm, then, then you'll have to come to the conclusion, my life has no meaning. It has no real purpose. I'm just a speck in the universe for a little while and then I disappear. It's only when you touch that unseen realm where there is God, uh, where there is eternity, that's when you begin to realize what the meaning of your existence really is. So there is an unseen realm in the universe and that's what the Bible deals with. Praise the Lord for that. Now there's one scientific claim in particular that uh, we're going to need to deal with, but we're not going to deal with that so much today. Uh, our plan is to deal with that next week. And that is the claim that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Because that claim has caused many people to doubt the whether the Bible is trustworthy or not. And there are Christians today who strongly teach that. They strongly defend that point of view. 
But it's very clear uh, from the scientific evidence, the Earth is much older than that. It's not 6,000 years old. It may be 4 billion years old. The universe may be 15 billion years old. We don't know. But the Bible is, in reality, the Bible is silent about the age of the Earth. It doesn't tell us how old the Earth is. Now, the events that are recorded in Genesis chapter 1, for the most part, did take place about 6,000 years ago. But the first statement in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, uh, that statement may have, we don't know when that took place. It may have been 4 billion years old. It may have been 15 billion years ago. The Bible simply doesn't tell us. So between that verse and the verse uh uh, verse 3, which says, uh, and God and the Spirit of God was hovering over the, the Spirit of, of God was brooding over the surface of the earth. Verse 2, rather. No, verse 3. Um, between those, those verses, there's a gap, and we simply don't know how long a period of time that is. And we're going to cover that in depth uh, in the next next week's program, because that's a very important objection that a lot of people have to the Bible and to believing that it's a trustworthy book. And we need to deal with that. So, uh, like I said, we're not going to discuss that more in, in today's program, but that is something we need to cover, and we'll do that next week. Another reason people don't read the Bible is that they feel it's an immoral book because uh, you see there very often, especially in the Old Testament, uh, you see God's people, the children of Israel, wiping out uh, nations, um, God sending down fire from heaven and... Uh, um, all these other judgments from God. Well, uh, and that's right. Uh, the, the God is a God of judgment. And in this age, uh, in particular, we don't like to hear that. We, we like the part about God is loving, he's forgiving, he's kind, and he's gracious because we live in the age of grace. But that does not mean God is not a God of judgment. He is a holy God, and he has his judgments. And so I would not set aside the Bible uh, for that reason. In another sense, another uh, sense in which people feel the Bible is immoral is the way in which there's so much immorality recorded in the Bible. We mentioned last week the story at the end of the book of Judges, uh, that terrible story about a man whose concubine uh, is uh, raped and uh, the result is basically a civil war within uh, the nation of Israel and uh, just so much uh, mayhem and, and bloodshed. Uh, and, and, and there are other stories in the Bible that are just um, speak of how uh, um, a lot of immoral things were going on. Well, the point here is that the Bible is not a religious book. We think everybody in the Bible should be holy and should be uh, such a good person. But the Bible is showing us humanity as it really is. And that's offensive to some people. But God is dealing with sinful people to try to bring him in, bring them into his purpose, and that's not an easy thing to do. And it doesn't airbrush out that history. It it shows what really happened. So we shouldn't be offended by that type of thing. It's just the, the antidote for that is to realize we should not have this religious concept when we come to the Bible. It's showing us humanity as it really is. You know, uh, Voltaire. This is one way he was the, the great infidel of the uh, French Enlightenment, and. Uh, he, uh, he had this to say about the Bible. Of course, he very much attacked the, the Roman Catholic Church. He attacked Christianity in general. Here's what he had to say about the Bible. It is characteristic of fanatics who read the Holy Scriptures to tell themselves, God killed, so I must kill. Abraham lied, Jacob deceived, Rachel stole, so I must steal, deceive, and lie. But, wretch, you are neither Rachel, nor Jacob, nor Abraham, nor God. You are just a mad fool, and the popes who forbade the reading of the Bible were extremely wise. So he was one. He saw all the uh, immorality and the, the bad things that people did in the Bible, and, and he said, therefore, we shouldn't read it. But if you have this kind of thought, again, you're, you're expecting the Bible to be a religious book, and it simply isn't. So again, I would say, don't uh, refuse to read the Bible for that reason. But when we come to the Bible, we need to realize it's dealing with humanity as it really is. Another objection that people have to reading the Bible is and spending time with it is that they, they feel it's only one religious book among many. Uh, the Hindus, the uh, the Buddhists, the Muslims, uh, Christians, they all each have their own scriptures and, and one is good for one people, another is good for another people. 
But actually, the Bible really is, it's the unique book among all the books of the world. And uh, nothing really, nothing compares to the Bible. Uh, I want to, I want to read a brief statement. Uh, This is um, a statement about the Bible I really appreciate. It's uh, uh, from a man named Alexander Hislop in his book, The Two Babylons, which deals with uh, the idolatry of the Roman church. And he begins this book, his book, with this wonderful statement about the Bible. Listen to what he says. It's a couple paragraphs. There is this great difference between the works of men and the works of God, that the same minute and searching investigation which displays the defects and imperfections of the one brings out also the beauties of the other. If the most finely polished needle on which the art of man has been expended be subjected to a microscope, many inequalities, much roughness and clumsiness will be seen. But if the microscope be brought to bear on the flowers of the field, no such result appears. Instead of their beauty diminishing, new beauties, and still more delicate, that have escaped the naked eye are forthwith discovered, beauties that make us appreciate in a way which we otherwise could have little conception of the full force of the Lord's saying, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He goes on, The same law appears also in comparing the word of God in the most finished productions of men. There are spots and blemishes in the most admired productions of human genius. But the more the scriptures are searched, the more minutely they are studied, the more their perfection appears. New beauties are brought into light every day, and the discoveries of science, the researches of the learned, and the labors of infidels all alike conspire to illustrate the wonderful harmony of all the parts and the divine beauty that clothes the whole. So I've always really love that statement about the Bible. He's saying the way it fits together, you just can't, you can't even uh, begin to describe the beauty of this book and the harmony of all the different parts. You have to remember the Bible was written over a period of a couple thousand years by about 40 different writers. And yet somehow it all moves along according to one particular theme, uh, which is how God is working to bring man into his desire for his own glory. And when you see that, you realize only God could have written this book. You know, compare that to the Quran, which is written by a single man, right? Uh, I guess, I think he dictated it to someone else, uh, so far as we know, right? Who never did a miracle, right? He simply said, here is, here is the word of God. This is, this is what God told me to tell you. You compare that with the Bible, which where where you have so many miracles, you have so many prophecies uh, that have been fulfilled, uh, so much uh, wisdom, and it tells us this unique story of this man Jesus, like unlike any other man uh, who's ever lived. And then you realize this book is unique. It's unique among all the books of the world. Praise the Lord. So again, I would say it, it, we shouldn't have the thought that the Bible is only one book among many. It is really the unique book in all of human history. And the last last objection to deal with is this notion that the Bible's been corrupted. Well, we don't really know what, what the Bible is because things have been added to it, things have been taken out from it. <clears throat> there is absolutely no evidence to support that point of view, none. Uh, you know, today people talk about the lost books of the Bible, but no books of the Bible were ever lost. Uh, they were rejected. Uh, you know, there's a, a whole volume of these things, I think. And But... Uh, it was simply the case that the early believers recognized that these books did not have the authority that the canonical books did, which were accepted as part of the New Testament canon. Now, in the very first podcast we did, uh, the first and second podcast, uh, we talk about Jesus's view of the scriptures and how he strongly stressed, you can trust the word of God. Now, of course, in his time, he was talking about the Old Testament. But for sure, the same principle applies to the New Testament that shows us who this unique person was. Just as the Holy Spirit preserved the Old Testament, he's preserved the New Testament. And, and again, I, the evidence, uh, you know, the, the, the early church fathers, when they quoted um, Scripture, they quoted the, the books that we have in the New Testament today. 
they may have quoted sometimes some other books, but it's much, much less, less, less frequently than the books that are part of our New Testament. They simply did not have the esteem that the New Testament books do. So, so the Bible has not been corrupted. No books of the Bible have been lost. It is God's revelation to mankind. Praise the Lord for that. So, um, so those, like I say, we're just briefly touching on some of the basic objections that people have to reading the Bible today. <clears throat> because there's no question, it's, its authority in this country has been very much diminished from what it once was. So now let's look at what um, some famous Americans historically have said about the Bible. Uh, and these are some, I think, pretty, pretty remarkable quotes. Uh, and I pulled these down uh, from a website. It's from the Houston Baptist University in the Dunham Museum. I just pulled these off of their website, and we'll link to that, uh, that page uh, in the podcast. And that's where you'll, you'll get the references for these quotes. But they're really some amazing statements. They really show how much uh, our country's leaders, even our founding fathers, appreciated the Bible. And we should have an appreciation of this fact today because today people denigrate the Bible so much uh, and, and they want to tear it down. But that's not been the case in our nation's history at all. Uh, we really need to appreciate the profound impact the Bible has had on, upon our country and uh, to give us the society that we have today. We never would have had this kind of open, free, tolerant society if we didn't have the Bible as the basis of our society. So listen to what uh, some of uh, the great Americans of the past have said. The first quote is from John Adams. Of course, he was one of the very foremost of our nation's founding fathers. And, and the second president of the United States. <clears throat> he said, I have examined all religions as well as my narrow sphere, my straightened means, and my busy life would allow. And the result is that the Bible is the best book in the world. It contains more philosophy than all the libraries I have seen. And I should add, he was quite a quite an alerted man. He, was, he very much studied the classics. But he himself said, uh, it is the best book in the world. It contains more philosophy than all the libraries I have seen. His son, John Quincy Adams, was um, also a very tremendously important American. Uh, he was the sixth president of the United States, but probably a greater contribution he made was as Secretary of State. Uh, under um, James Monroe, he was the one who really promulgated the Monroe Doctrine. And then after he was president, he went back to the House of Representatives. He's the only president who's ever done that. And he was there. He became a strong voice opposing slavery in the United States. And uh, there's an interesting comment I read about him once uh, that uh, John Quincy Adams had two John Quincy Adams ha had two great careers in American public life interrupted by a single term as president of the United States which is a very interesting comment. But his, his greater, contrib greater contributions were uh, especially, uh, as I say, Secretary of State and uh, in the House, not so much as the president in the presidency. But he wrote to his son. Uh, this is in 1811. He said, My dear son, in your letter of the 18th January to your mother, you mentioned that you read to your aunt a chapter of the Bible or a section of Doddridge's annotations every evening. This information gave me real pleasure, for so great is my veneration for the Bible and so strong my belief that when duly read and meditated on, it is of all books in the world that which contributes most to make men good, wise, and happy, that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more steadily they pursue the practice of reading it throughout their lives, the more lively and confident will be my hopes that they will prove useful citizens of their country, respectable members of society, and a real blessing to their parents." Now listen to what he says about his own practice. I have myself for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once every year. My custom is to read four or five chapters every morning immediately after rising from my bed. It employs about an hour of my time. Then he went on. This is in another letter dated uh, from December of 1814. I think also to his son. I speak as a man to the world. I speak as a man of the world to men of the world. And I say to you, search the scriptures. The Bible is the book of all others, to be read to all ages and in all conditions of human life, not to be read once or twice through, or thrice through, and then laid aside, but to be read in small portions of one or two chapters every day, and never to be intermitted, unless by some overruling necessity. 
in what light soever we regard the Bible, whether with reference to revelation, to history, or to morality, it is an, it is an invaluable and inexhaustible mine of knowledge and virtue. Uh, so that's John Quincy Adams. Ulysses S. Grant was another president. <clears throat> and, of course, he was uh, the general who basically won the Civil War. His, he made a very brief statement, the Bible is the sheet anchor of our liberties. He really evidently appreciated the Bible, as I say, as, a, as, a, as the bedrock for the kind of nation that we live in. Horace Greeley was a leading abolitionist uh, you know, before the Civil War. He said, it is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. Uh, Patrick Henry was, uh, of course, the American patriot, patriot at the time of the Revolutionary War. He said, the Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed. Herbert Hoover um, uh, was the 31st president of the United States. He said, the whole inspiration of our civilization springs from the teachings of Christ and the lessons of the prophets. To read the Bible for these fundamentals is a, necessary, is a necessity of American life. And, of course, she was president during the Great uh, Depression. And he, as such, he doesn't have a, a good reputation. But he was really a remarkable um, uh, humanitarian. And it's widely considered that he basically saved, I think it was Belgium, from starvation after World War I by organizing a relief effort that saved that country. So he was quite a, quite a humanitarian. So that's quite a, a statement from him. Uh, Andrew Jackson was the seventh president. He said of the Bible, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. So you see how many of our leaders realized the Bible is so crucial as the basis, the bedrock of our civilization. Um, <clears throat> William McGuffey, of course, he had the McGuffey readers of the 19th century that were widely used for educating American children at that time. And he said, uh, from no source has the author drawn more copiously than from the sacred scriptures. For this, I certainly apprehend no censure. In a Christian country, that man is to be pitied who at this day can honestly object to imbuing the minds of youth with the language and the spirit of the word of God. And so another theme of these quotes is how important it is to have young people reading the Bible in a regular way, to get the Bible into them, if you want them to grow up to be healthy children. And it and you just have to lament um, in this country today that's happening less and less, uh, uh, so, certainly not in the schools. Uh, children just are not being exposed to the Bible in a healthy way. And no wonder they, they go astray and they wonder what their life is all about. We have so many school shootings. Um, things are just, you know, sorry to say, going to hell in a handbasket because the Bible doesn't have that influence on the young generation that it really should have in a healthy nation. Theodore Roosevelt, you know, his, his, uh, he's the 26th president of the United States. He's one of the four presidents on Mount Rushmore, right? And uh, uh, really quite a figure in American history. Listen to what he says. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. That's what he said about the Bible. I'll read that again. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Again, remarkable statement. Uh, William Seward was uh, Lincoln's Secretary of State and a very, very important figure in American history, uh, much more so, I think, than most people realize. I didn't appreciate it until I listened to, uh, I think it's Doris Kearns Goodwin, Goodwin's book, A Team of Rivals. Uh, he was the first one uh, among Lincoln's peers who really appreciated Lincoln's greatness. And he really enabled Lincoln to become who he was as president. So we really, this nation really owes a, a debt of gratitude to Mr. Seward. Uh, and uh, so he lost, by the way, in that um, he ran for the nomination, for the Republican nomination, and he lost to Lincoln, but he had the uh, uh, magnanimity to really become a, a key supporter for Lincoln. Very, very touching story. And here's what he said about the Bible. I do not believe human society, including not merely a few persons in any state, but whole masses of men ever have attained or ever can attain a high state of intelligence, virtue, security, liberty, or happiness without the Holy Scriptures. Even the whole hope of human progress is suspended on the ever-growing influence of the Bible. Then, um, 
um, Henry Dyke. Uh, now, he's not so well known, but he was an English professor at Princeton and a very inspirational author. And I, I like what he says. He says, no man is poor or desolate who has this treasure for his own. Now, uh, listen to Daniel. These are the words of Daniel Webster, who was a very famous uh, senator and an American orator. And uh, at one point, he was the Secretary of State. And he said, there is no solid basis for civilization but in the word of God. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering. And one reason why I especially like this quote is because it's so prophetic. It talks about what our nation will be like when the Bible loses its influence, which is what's happening today. Uh, so I start over. There is no solid basis for civilization but in the word of God. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering. But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. If truth be not diffused, error will be. If God and his word are not known and received, the devil and his works will gain the ascendancy. If the evangelical volume does not reach every hamlet, the pages of a corrupt and licentious literature will. If the power of the gospel is not felt throughout the length and breadth of the land, anarchy and misrule, degradation and misery, corruption and darkness will reign without mitigation or end. You know, these words are being fulfilled in our society today. As the Bible has lost its influence, we've seen much more chaos and lawlessness and uh, degradation in ministry, mis misery, just reigning more and more. That's inevitable when the Bible loses its influence, especially in a society which has had the influence of the Bible in the past. So I really appreciate that statement by Daniel Webster, a very, very prophetic word. He goes on, he says, about his own Bible reading, he says, I have read the Bible through many times and now make it a practice to read it through once every year. So again, you see, here's a great American who had that practice of reading the Bible every year. Even you know, a tremendously busy man, he was a very important statesman, but he still read the Bible every year. He said, it is a book of all others for lawyers as well as divines, and I pity the man who cannot find in it a rich supply of thought and of rules for conduct. It fits man for life. It prepares him for death. Noah Webster, uh, of course, he was the, uh, the first author of the Webster's Dictionary. Uh, he was an American educator and scholar. He said, the Bible is the chief moral cause of all that is good and the best co corrector of all that is evil in human society. The best book for regulating the temporal concerns of men and the only book that can serve as an infallible guide to future felicity. Now, felicity, of course, means blessing. Um, I wonder, okay, so that's, there's more that I want to read. I have a, a, a tremendous statement here from uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, but maybe, maybe that's enough for now. Uh, and I want to say, too, of course, Abraham Lincoln um, is a unique figure in American history. And I, I purposely have not included uh, anything from him yet because in this, uh, the second half of the program, we want to talk about him a little bit more in depth. And maybe we'll use this quote, quote from Wendell Wilson. Woodrow Wilson at that point as well. But I think that's enough uh, for this segment of the program. So we will see you on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. 
Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. <clears throat> so I, th- I, want to, I do want to read this statement from Woodrow Wilson uh, before we go on. I think, again, I think it's so uh, important. Now, he was uh, really a, a, a founder of modern progressivism in, in the United States, of leftism. And uh, uh, so for him to say these things is very, very illuminating, I think. So, so listen to what Woodrow Wilson says. Of course, he was president uh, of the United States at the time of uh, the First World War. He says, there are great problems, ladies and gentlemen, before the American people. There are problems which will need purity of spirit and integrity of purpose, such as has never been called for before in the history of this country. I should be afraid to go forward if I did not feel that there lay at the foundation of all our schooling and all our thought this incomparable and unimpeachable word of God. It cannot derive our, If we cannot derive our strength thence, there is no source from which we can derive it. Very, very remarkable word there. And, and he goes on. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a very simple thing to ask of you. I ask of every man and woman in the audience that from this night on they will realize that part of the destiny of America lies in their daily perusal of this great book of revelations that if they would see America free and pure, that they will make their own spirits free and pure by this baptism of the Holy Scripture. Quite a statement, from, especially coming from uh, a man such as Mr. Wilson. <clears throat> and so we read these quotes to consider you know, why we, as even if, even if you're not a believer in Christ, you should still be a person who has a basic familiarity with the Scripture and even a habit of reading the Scripture day by day. It's such a healthy thing uh, to develop uh, a character and for uh, the health of our nation. It's important that uh, people develop this habit of being in the Scripture in a regular way and that the Bible has a place of honor in our national life. And we have to say this today because so many people are decrying the Bible and trying to limit its influence and undermine its influence. So we have to speak out and say, no, that is not the history of this nation. In the history of this nation, the Bible has played a vital and uh, irreplaceable part. And we should still uplift and honor the Bible in this nation today. Praise the Lord for that. So that's what we hope to do. And so we're going to kind of continue in this theme uh, as we go on. Uh, But right now we want to bring on Brother Joe Pope, who's joining us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Joe, are, are you there on the line? I am, Dave. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, you sound good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, amen, Joe. I don't know, uh, you've been listening to the program there. If you have any thoughts about uh, anything that I've, I've been sharing so far or any of those quotes, I, to me, I just I read those quotes and I think just, boy, I wish people, even our national leaders, were speaking out uh, today. And, and some do, some do, but... Uh, mm-hmm. but People want to. There's a segment of this country that wants to secularize uh, this nation, and that's just not the kind of country we've ever been. And so we need to be reminded of, the, of these statements and what, uh, how our, our great national leaders in the past have felt about the Bible before us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I was looking at some of the quotes online and following you as you were reading quotes, and it's interesting. There is a quote you uh, cited from Ulysses S. Grant, and there was another quote I saw online from Robert E. Lee. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though they, they were on opposite, opposite sides yeah, right. of the war, they, they both had a deep faith and belief in God, and uh, you respect that, you really appreciate that. These were men of God who really looked at the end of the day and trusted God and me upon God for his strength, his supply, and his grace. But um, to comment on one thing you said earlier, <clears throat> when people look at the Bible and they see a lot of immoral things that happen, so they um, would uh, conclude, well, gee, the Bible is, uh, is immoral and talks about death and killing and you know so on and so forth. I was reading... Well, yeah, but I just want to say, that, that's I a good point. Say, yeah. Another reason why... Mm-hmm. Um, 
people don't read the Bible is because it exposes our sin. It exposes how evil we are. I, I didn't include that in the in, in the reasons why people don't read the Bible, but that's a very good point. Well, well, yeah, I told you. Yeah. You know, I was looking at John three nineteen, right? It says, "And this is the condemnation: the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light." For their deeds are evil. Yeah. But I was thinking also too, you know, um, you know, why do people not read the word? Well, you know, it's it's unfortunate. The, in Revelation twelve, talking about the dragon who uh, was cast out, it said he came and deceived all the nations. So there's a darkness that likes to prevail, and there's a darkness that uh, propagates this thought. All the Bibles out of uh, it has been at all, you know, not doesn't apply to us. It's out of date. Right. It has mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this really is the, the, the enemy's strategy to, to turn people away from the Word of God. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's another basic reason why. You're right. There's an enemy who doesn't want people reading the Bible for sure. He hates Absolutely. to see yeah, Absolutely. people coming to the Word. Yeah, really. So yeah, so you know, because God's Word brings light. It brings yeah. light to our soul, it brings light to ourselves. And all those men of God that you quoted, you know, they realize the value of having the light. We don't have that light in our soul. You know, we are we're off. We're off. We're 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 out of touch. We're in the darkness. Yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter calls it a the prophetic word, a light shining in a dark place. Really yes. so. Really That's so a good verse. Well, we've we've been so fortunate that to have in this in this country, you know, leaders who have and I I do feel strongly this is why the, na- the Lord has blessed this nation as he has, because at least to some extent, his word has been honored in this country. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to come to uh, uh, Lincoln, and uh, because we, we, he really stands alone among, you know, Washington was the, the father of our country. Uh, Lincoln is the savior of our country, really. And, uh, um, he, you know, he, um, we'll say a little bit more about literary figures, how they appreciated the the Bible in the past. But for sure, when you read Lincoln's uh, writings, I don't claim by any means to be a scholar of Lincoln, but it, it's very clear he had such a grounding in the Word of God. Uh, his uh, uh, when he when he was nominated for Senate in 1858, in his acceptance speech, that's where he made that. Uh, it's called the House Divided speech because he's quoting there. Uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it's Matthew chapter twelve twenty five. A house divided against itself shall not stand. Right. So that's yeah. that's his. I mean, it, it was clear Lincoln was one who was fully. Uh, he really knew the Scripture, and uh, so one. And um, Joe, I thought what we do next. Maybe let's play. I recorded his uh, the last part of his second inaugural last night, sure. and. Uh, I wanted to play that because this is a very important speech. It really ranks with the Gettysburg Address uh, as, as probably the two greatest speeches ever given in American political history. And uh, uh, I just recorded the second half. It's only about, uh, the portion I recorded is only about two and a half minutes long. Uh, but of course, he's talking in the first part of the speech, he's talking about the, um, the progress of uh, the Civil War, how that was going on. Uh, but the second half... It's basically a sermon, and, and again, it's truly a remarkable statement. And you have to consider, as we listen to this, could a president of the United States today make this same kind of speech? So let's let's listen to that, Joe, and then maybe we can just talk about this a little good. bit afterwards. Sounds good. So, neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with, or even before, the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and prayed to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, 
and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Wow. I mean, you, you listen to that today and you just, it, like I say, it's basically a sermon. And, uh, uh, and I, Joe, the, 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 he quotes three verses, three Bible verses in there. Uh, Matthew 7, 1, that's judge not, that you be not judged. Psalm 19 uh, is a statement about the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Uh, and Matthew 18, 7, I forget which one that was, but, uh, but three, three times. Uh, uh, and, and this was when, when the nation was in, uh, still in, the danger had pretty much passed by that point at the time of the second inaugural, but it was still in the crucible of the Civil War. So just a remarkable statement, I think. And uh, it just makes you wish that we had such God-fearing leaders today. Of course, Lincoln was unique, but still, uh, you hope that the Bible can regain its influence among so many in, uh, in, in our nation that we would raise up men who really had a healthy fear of the Lord and a respect for God's Word. That's my feeling anyway. I don't know, Joe, if you have any thoughts about listening to that speech. But. Well, I'm just looking at, uh, at the quote from Robert E. Lee. You know, you quoted um, Ulysses Grant, Evans, yeah. where you said, Hold fast the Bible as a sheet anchor of your liberties. Write its per- precepts on your heart and practice them in your lives. Mm. And then Robert E. Lee uh, spoke. He said, The Bible is a book in comparison with which all others of minor importance and which in all my perplexities and distresses has never failed to give me light and strength. Wow. So both of these men, even though they were opposite sides of the war, you know, had their their trust in God, which was um, which was wonderful. That became their strength. But then again, at the end of the day, God is on the throne, and I think uh, uh, Lincoln saw that. Yes, God would have His way, and there are evils in this nation that He pointed out. But God would have his way. I really appreciate this I, I statement. Like that. The Almighty has his own purposes. A very, very profound exactly. statement. Yeah. Exactly. I just love that. We, we just have a, anyway. a few minutes left here, Joe. So I want to uh, I wanted, wanted to get into um, a little bit about, you know, we've talked mainly, mainly about political figures. Um, in terms of English literature, uh, you know, I've, <clears throat> well, I just have one, you know, uh, one one quote here. I'm going to summarize. Uh, it kind of summarizes it up. It's too much to get, get into, but uh, of course, Joe, you know Mark Jordan. He's a uh, English teacher, and he's yeah. a frequent guest on the program. He was an English teacher in uh, mm-hmm. um, Indiana there for more than 30 years, and he just summarized up. Uh, he sent over a bunch of statements from Shakespeare, uh, or rather, about Shakespeare and how he appreciated uh, the Bible. Uh, but <clears throat> in brief, he just summed up. Uh, with this simple statement. This is Mark's own word. He said, you cannot fully appreciate English or American literature without a knowledge of the Bible. To be a truly educated and well-rounded person, one simply must read the Bible. So I really appreciate that statement, I think. And again, I, I don't know, I can't claim to know too much about literature, but uh, but Mark does, and, that, and that's the way he sums it up. And I think from what I know, that's a very, very true statement. You have to uh, really um, know the Bible, if you won't be able to appreciate so much of what's going on in English literature. Right. Now, now in these last few minutes, uh, what I want to do is... Um, oh, sorry, Joe, go ahead. So. No, no, no. I was looking at a quote also I, I, that um, Mark had pointed out uh, from uh, 
the author of Crime and Punishment, and just part of what he said to his daughter, he said, um, my children, he said to his feeble voice, never forget what you have just heard. Have absolute faith in God and never despair of his pardoning. And he says, I love you dearly, but my love is nothing compared to the love of God. Anyway, he, this is the author of uh, Crime and Punishment, the famous Russian yeah. by the Lord. Yeah, and he and, and Mark said, I didn't know this, but as he was dying, he asked his daughters to read to him the story of the prodigal son. So, yeah, again, a great literary figure who really appreciated the Bible, the Word of God. I appreciate that, too. Yeah. So, so Joe, let's talk about, I know, because, okay, so we're encouraging people to read the Bible, and uh, uh, I was hoping we'd have time to actually read some portions of Scripture. I don't know that we will, um, but... Uh, there's some basic things. Okay, if we're encouraging people to read the Bible, I mean, the Bible, obviously, it's a, it's a very, it could be pretty daunting. It's a big book. You know, it's a roughly 750,000 or so words, uh, I think, depending on which translation you use. So people, that, that alone can be kind of something that frustrates people from coming to the Bible as the Word of God. So, uh, so we need to consider what are some practices, some simple practices that people can use to pick up the Bible. And, and begin reading. And we've, in the last couple of weeks, we've come up with some things that I think are very good, very good uh, ideas. And I'll mention a few, Joe, and then if you have any that you want to add. Um, you know, Mark, again, to refer to him, he said that uh, if you, he had a resolution at one point to simply read one verse of the Bible every day. And the point of that was it caused him to develop that happening habit of opening the word every day even a little bit and of course usually you read more than a verse but i thought that could be a very good practice if you're if you're new to the bible one one very good um, book to start with could be the book of proverbs if you read it there's 31 chapters in the book of proverbs and uh it's uh so if you read a chapter you'll go through the book of proverbs in a month and that's a very good practice uh, the Psalms is another very good place to start because there's so much in there that's so touching. Uh, and again, it just gets you into the habit of opening up the Word and uh, uh, gets you used to coming to the Word in a regular way. Uh, and another suggestion that I thought was very good was to get a children's Bible. That can be a very good practice that uh, uh, to get an overall familiarity. Even don't. Uh, don't be too proud if, because the Bible, sometimes you need a general introduction. And, of course, you're not going to stay with that children's Bible. The idea is to get a general introduction. Um, and, but that's something that can help you enter into uh, the habit of reading the Bible. So, I, I don't know, Joe, those are just some things that come to mind on my side. Do you, I don't know if you have anything uh, along yeah, those lines. What I, would you recommend? I agree, Dave. I, when I first came to Christ uh, uh, in my uh, and I was 21 years old that late in life because I was told, you know, by my uh, whatever pastor, you know, you can't read the Word without somebody, a clergyman there right beside you. Mm. So subsequently, you know, we didn't. We weren't encouraged as a Catholic to read the Bible. Anyway, oh, okay. to be clear, so you're, you're a raised Catholic, that, and they, they, that, that's their view, right? As, if I understand correctly. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the view. You yeah, know, you need okay. a, a cleric there, you need right. somebody there uh, at the class. <clears throat> And to me, when I did touch the one who, who the Bible was written about, whose name is the Word of God, when I touched Christ, and I picked up uh, Good News for Modern Man, this mm. very simple kind of uh, uh, rendition of the New Testament translation. So there are the translations out there that are easier, that are softer, you know, that you can read to, to kind of get you into the Word. But then once I began to read it, I couldn't put it down because I was touching... I was touching life, I was touching the Spirit, I was touching God. So, you know, when you read the Word, it's good to read it just for the overview. It's good to read it just, you know, to have an understanding of what's going on. It's good to read it uh, to study, and it's good especially for inspiration. So it's not, usually in the morning when I come to the Word, I, I'm opening my heart to God, Lord, speak something to me. And and as you read, God was always faithful to speak something from His Word to us with Him. Strengthen that can guide and encourage me through the, for the day, day by day. Amen. So, yeah, I'd say, I think it's, you mentioned it's kind of a habit. Just have yes. a habit. Even just take one verse a day yeah. and write it. I think last week I was listening to um, Mike saying that, you know, write it on a, on a piece of paper, on an index card, yeah. you know, tape it to your wall, tape it to your, Amen. your steering wheel, you know. 
and just let the word just absorb the word Amen. can change your life. Joe, do, do you have uh, do you have Psalm twenty three there? I do. Okay, why don't you? Uh, Should I read it? Yeah, I, yeah. Go ahead. I, I just want to. Re- we'll sure. see if we can get it in. We'll we'll finish up. But I think yeah, just, I that's a very good point that the we have this thought. We need a clergyman to help us read the Bible. That's not true. So go ahead and read Psalm twenty three there in the last minute, and maybe we'll close with that. You're familiar with this this psalm, which says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me to like green pastures. I, I love that. He leads me to like still waters. He restores my soul." He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I... Amen, Joe. Uh, a great teacher used to read this to us when in school, and now you can't even bring the Word of God to mm. school. Wow, Joe. That's a dear word. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. And that's, that's one way to start. If To listeners, if you want to start reading the Bible, Psalm 23 is a very good chapter to start with. Another chapter in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, it's called the love chapter. Mm-hmm. Read these portions. Joe, that's, that's a, a beautiful word to, to end the program with, I think. that's uh, Yeah, thank you so much. So, uh, yeah. That's about all we have time for. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll just maybe maybe that's a good place to end. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. And, yeah, uh, my pleasure, Yeah, okay. And uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, brother. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye. been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.